All right, you guys, uh, I know dinner is waiting and it looks delicious. <laughs> I need you to hang with me, all right? Uh, I don't know why this works out this way, but there's a lot today. And so I will do my best and we'll pray the Lord's guidance and wisdom as we try to time things. But I think the Lord has a message for everybody here today. And I know he's already spoken to me. So please just try to seek the Lord as we go through. Um, we're going to spend a lot of time today in John chapter 9. But pray that the Lord will guide our thinking and that he would speak to our hearts. So we're going to start with the verse today, John chapter 9, verse 24. And then we're going to kind of circle back through this idea of Philippians where we've been talking about praying for one another. And let's let the Lord speak to our hearts today. In John, in chapter 9, in verse 24, that's where we're going to start out. And here is what the scripture says to us. Then again called they the man that was blind, and they said unto him, Give God the praise, or give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. In verse 25, he answered and he said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Amen? So we've been trying to encourage you guys and encourage one another to pray for one another out of Philippians chapter 1. And again, sometimes, I mean, sometimes you just say, Lord, be with such and such person. But it's such a good thing to pray the word of God over people, isn't it? Right? So if you haven't already done this, highlight that, those verses in Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And here's what we've been praying. We've been praying that love would abound. You guys are already a loving bunch of people. We want it to abound even more, right? And then we want love to abound in knowledge and discernment, knowledge and depth of insight. We want to love, but we want to love in the best ways and the best places and do the best things possible. We want to prove the excellent things. And then as we pray those verses, we said, Lord, help us to be pure and to be blameless. Um, Roger's really got my mind running after Wednesday night. We did Philippians, uh, also in Philippians chapter 2, and the scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I ask people Wednesday night, I'm like, when's the last time you trembled? Whew. Not for me, it was, we had some good answers. Some people talked about the last time when they knew they really sinned, that that caused them to tremble. I thought, man, that's a good place to be, isn't it? When you sin, that you tremble, right? And when people that we love, we saw them made bad choices and we were so concerned for their souls that we trembled. But when have you trembled, right? So we need the Lord to help us to approve those excellent things, to be pure and blameless. And then the last thing we talked about um, last week was to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. I want to be around a lot of fruity people, don't you? Amen. People who have love and joy and meekness and long-suffering and patience. And we talked about remote control last week, right? Self-control. I want to be that kind of person where God is working through me and his fruit is going forth. Well, the very end of that passage, 1 through 9, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Let's look at verse 11 quickly together. Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he says he wants them to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. And notice the last phrase. To the glory and the praise of God, Right? This is not about us leaving a legacy. It's not about my name or your name. It's not even about our church name. It's about his name. Amen? And that's what we want. Well, today I want to encourage you and hopefully challenge you from the book of John, an incredible story 
where we're reminded about living in a way for the glory of God. We're going to encounter misfortune along the way. Everybody's been there, right? You've encountered pain or hardship or heartache, and sometimes it's on ourselves. Sometimes it's people that we love. And sometimes when we see other people make mistakes, we are tempted to blame them, right? We can blame others. We can blame ourselves. But today I want to remind you that so many times God wants to work in our pain for his glory and our joy. Can I say that again? I want God to work in our pain for his glory and our joy. Anybody have any pain today? Physical, spiritual, emotional, it's all in this place, isn't it, right? Okay. But God can work through that for his glory and our joy. So today we're going to look at this story that reminds us to give glory to God. I wrote down here our need this morning, and our need so many times that we, we probably overlook it too quickly, is we all need eternal life. And eternal life starts when you become a Christian. It doesn't start the day you die. Did you catch that? When someone receives Jesus in their life, in their heart, eternal life has begun. And we have that need. It's the most precious gift ever offered, but in order to receive it, we must be changed. The boys and I were looking at our lesson today. The illustration was about a pardon. Man, I was impressed with Jacob. He knew exactly what a pardon was. He almost had the definition word for word. As we laid it out, it was a story about a man in 1830, Andrew Jackson, this, this man, he had robbed a post office. He'd murdered someone, and the president, Andrew Jackson, offered him a pardon, but the man would not take the pardon. So Andrew Jackson went to the Supreme Court and said, what's the ruling? What do we do? And the judge said, a pardon is just a slip of paper unless you receive it. And so the man was hanged. You guys, salvation is offered to everyone, but only counts if you receive it, right? So to give glory to God, we have to receive the gifts that he has given us. So let's start off this morning first off. Who sinned? Who sinned? Look in John chapter 9 and verse 1. I'm going to read kind of quickly, so follow along with me. Hopefully things are on the screen for you as well. John chapter 9, verse 1. The scripture says, As he went along, he being Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus walking along, he sees this man born blind, a man who for his whole life has never seen. Can you imagine never seeing? I can't, I can't even fathom that, right? What's red? I don't know. Blue, purple? They have no meaning if you can't see, right? That was the case for our young man in our story here today. Well, as they're walking along, they see the young man, and what is the disciples' questions to the teacher, to rabbi? Who do we blame? They fit really good in America in the 20s, uh, 2000s, weren't they, <laughs> right? Whose fault is it? It must be somebody's fault that this child was born blind. There's got to be some sin in the equation. And surely God wouldn't punish a child before he's born. So was it the parents? Maybe it was the parents' sin who caused the problem. 
Do you ever look at someone's misfortune and then immediately judge them for assuming that maybe they did something for God to do that to them? It happens even in our day, doesn't it, right? Well, that was the case here for the disciples. I want to be very clear this morning. Sometimes disease is a result of sin. If you study the scriptures, we know that to be true. And to be honest with you, all sickness is the result of the original sin. We all have sickness because of Adam and Eve. But for this person in this situation, the disease is not so much related to the sin as it is related to the Savior. God wants to do something. And so he has set up a situation that everyone else thinks is hopeless so that he can bring hope into the situation. Anybody been there? God is setting them up. And I want to tell you today that a lot of times I think God is setting us up when we face some difficult trials and pain, and some of it comes from our sin, from the sins of others. Sometimes God is allowing us to be in those things because he wants to do something great, but we need to seek him. We need to truly give glory to God. First question this morning, who might you be judging today because of chaos or illness in their life? It must be because of their sin, right? Well, if you've been a better parent, that would have never happened. My kids would not be like that. Ever thought that? I have. The Lord just like crushed that in me. And I had to learn a lot from that lesson, right? Have you ever looked at some people and thought, well, man, what a mess. I wonder what they did that was so bad that God let that happen to them. That's what's going on in this situation. Who sinned? Again, I find it a little odd that someone born blind would be blamed, and I think the disciples did too. So they move on to the parents, but Jesus answers, so the work of God might be displayed in his life. If you were that young man, probably all your life, you're probably wondering why, aren't you? Why did you make me this way, God? Why did you let me get into this circumstance? Why am I here? And I don't know, he could have been angry at God, or at least I'm sure he was tempted to be angry at God. Yet all of this was happening for the greatest purpose of all, that God might be glorified, and we're still telling his story today. Why, God? Why are you doing this? God wants to display his power in this situation. Man, that really awakens my soul. It is not easy, but sometimes we should look through our sickness and our pain, and maybe God will give us a glimpse of purpose in our infirmities. When we are weak, he is what? He is strong. His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. You've heard it a thousand times, but so true. God often takes the mess and he makes it amazing, doesn't he? Amen. If you guys have never heard the song, Beautiful Things, that's the line of beautiful things. He makes beautiful things out of the dust. And he does, doesn't he, right? Quick story here. This is really powerful to me, and it's a reminder of how God can work. Uh, this is from John Stackhouse. He says, journalist David Hodge recently uh, told a memorable story about Wynton Marsalis. Are there any jazz fans in the room besides Wendy? Oh, there's some back there. Nice. Okay. Um, Winton was one of the most recognizable jazz musicians in our day, and he was one of the premier trumpeters, or is one of the premier trumpeters of all time. One night, he was playing with a small, little-known combo in a New York basement club, and a few songs into their set, 
he walked to the front of the bandstand and he began an unaccompanied solo of the 1930s ballad, I Don't Stand of a Ghost of a Chance with You. Haju records that the audience became wrapped as Marcellus trumpet almost wept on despair, almost gasping at times with the pain in the music. And stretching the mood top, Marsalis came to the final phrase, and with each note coming slower and slower, with a longer and longer pause between each one, I don't stand a ghost of a chance. And then what happened? Somebody's cell phone went off. Bang! <laughs> right? Couldn't you have killed that person at that time? Maybe I could. I don't know if you could have. Well, it began to chirp an absurd little tune, and the audience just broke up into laughs, and the man with the phone jumped up, and he fled into the hallway to his call, and the spell was broken. Magic ruined, scratched the journalist into his notepad. But then Marsalis played the cell phone melody note for note. He played it again with different accents. He began to play with it, spinning out a rhapsody on the silly little tune, changing keys several times, and the audience settled down and slowly realizing that they were hearing something altogether extraordinary. Around and around, Marcellus played for several minutes, weaving glory out of goofiness. And finally, in a master stroke, he wound down seamlessly to the last two notes of his previous song, With You. And the audience exploded with applause. In the same way, our brilliant, adaptable God is at work throughout this sin-sick world, bringing beauty out of baseness, heroism out of holocaust, love out of loss, and even salvation out of sacrifice. He calls us to believe and then do the same. God can get glory out of goofiness. Praise the Lord. Again, today, look at your situation. How can I give it to the Lord. Jesus himself in this first paragraph shows a sense of urgency. We used to sing this song when I was a child, work for the night is coming, right? And here Jesus says, you only have so much time. And man, that really struck with me as I was really going through this passage again. We don't know how long we have left, do we, right? Let's work. Let's leave it all on the field, so to speak. Let's give everything we have to the Lord because we don't know what is left. Life is short. Use it for the kingdom. Let's look at the next paragraph. This is incredible. Jesus said, wash, so I did. Jesus said, wash, so I did. Look down at verse 6. Having said this, he spit on the ground, that being Jesus, and he made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes, and go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went, and he washed, and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those had formerly seen him begging, asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was. And others said, no, he only looks like that man. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, and he put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Now, obviously, does Jesus have to spit? to do anything? No, <laughs> right? He could just think it, and it would happen. But I think that's kind of interesting here. What argument would the Pharisees have had if Jesus had healed without doing any work on the Sabbath? <laughs> it's almost like he was going to prod them into that, right? The man obeys. This is the key. Would you obey? Think with me for just a second. Isn't this kind of a risk? 
You've been blind. Probably you've been made fun of. People already think that either you're a sinner or your parents are a sinner, and this is why you're in this situation. And so then Jesus comes through and he says, I'll heal you, but I need you to go and wash. I'm going to put this mud on your eyes. In the back of my mind, again, I'm a little cynical. I'm probably like, uh, I don't know about this. You're going to put mud on my eyes, and then I'm going to be all better? You're just trying to make fun of me, aren't you, right? Do you guys realize that sometimes taking the step of faith is a risk? What if I pray and God doesn't answer? What if I step out of the boat and I start to sink? Right? God calls. I'm so proud of this young man. Again, he wouldn't be want to be embarrassed one more time, but I would already say that he was already in a bad situation, so maybe to some extent, what do you have to lose? And he definitely takes the Lord at his word. And so God's work is displayed. The one who could not see since birth is now seeing. Again, please hear this clearly. Don't ever underestimate the power of the Almighty. Can we pray for some miracles today? Again, not for my glory, not for your glory, not just for an ease of things, but can we pray that, that God will be praised? Don't underestimate the power of the living God. The man who was not seen is now seen. The talk around town, wasn't that the blind beggar? No, that couldn't be. He was blind. He can't do Everybody was getting in on it. And his testimony, I love his testimony. His testimony is Jesus said, go and wash. So I went and I washed. Hello? Do what the Lord says. And it's not even that complicated, was it, right? It's like Naaman. Naaman said, oh, my rivers are so much better than the river here. I don't want the nasty Jordan River. It's like Lake Decatur. I mean, it is filthy. No, no, no. I want you to go and dip in the Jordan seven, seven times. Can't you just do it on once? Well, God could, but he said seven, so do it seven times. He said, go and wash. So I went and washed, and I can see. Why are you going to doubt God? Go to India. Go to India? Are you crazy? Go to India. I have some incredible things for you to learn there. Okay, I went. And my eyes were opened, and man, I can see, right? When the Lord asks you to do something, just do it. What an incredible, simple faith. Jesus said, so I went, and guess what happened? God answered. Jesus said, so I did, and now I'll never be the same. Hear me out. This is another good question this morning. What is Jesus asking you to do that you might be healed, helped, or changed? What is it? He is asking. What is he asking of you? He may be asking you to repent. He may be asking you to go and to serve. He may be asking you, as we saw last week, to stand still and to get out of the way and let him do the work and the move. But whatever he asks, obey, and you too will see the glory of God. And I love this man's testimony. And I love Teresa when she shares her testimony, right? Rick and Vicky, they share their testimony. Well, this is what God did. I'm going to tell you what he did. His testimony was, Jesus said, go wash, so I did, and now I can see, and I'm going to follow after this person. Again, what's your testimony? Well, let's look at the skeptics. Again, bear with me. A lot of scripture here. We're going to go through it down in verse 13. 
And so they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. And now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes, the man's eyes was a Sabbath, a Sabbath day. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, I washed, now I see. Well, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Don't you hate church people? They're the worst. What are you doing on Sabbath? You're trying to help somebody on a Sabbath? You're doing work on the Sabbath? That can't be right. He healed the man. And the church people are all upset, right? The Pharisees, oh man. But the others asked and said, well, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they're divided. Verse 17, finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. Well, the man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Now look at this, you can see why the parents did this. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he is of age, go ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Look what they said. Give glory to God. Isn't that ironic? Here's how they're saying it. Give glory to God. Tell the truth. Quit lying. This man's a sinner, right? Give glory to God. And what does he do? He gives glory to God, who is Jesus, because he washed his eyes, and the man who couldn't see before can now see. Isn't that awesome? He gives glory to God. All right, let's keep going. Um, We know this man is a sinner, the Pharisees. In verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. The one thing I do know, and I love this, I was blind, but now I see. I can't explain to you all the eschatological ramifications of the rapture and of Israel and Gaza. I can't even go through all of those soteriology that has to do with salvation in Jesus. I don't even understand how all the Lord did everything in six days. I know he did, but here's what I know. I was blind and I can see now. And so I'm following after him. You guys, that's your testimony. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have everything memorized and understood. But when people want to know, well, why are you a Christian? I don't know. I was blind and now I see. So I'm following that guy. He's God. I'm going with him. So many times we get torn down and worn out, don't we? Because we don't have the answers. And we hide and we cower. And this young man says, I don't know. I was blind and now I can see. You go ask that guy. You have a story to tell. I can't tell your story. You tell your story. Amen? This man tells his story. And again, God is, is glorified. All right. Well, again, the parents, they would admit he was their son. They knew he'd been born blind. They didn't know how he could see, but they know he could see. And so they like, will you talk to our son? And so they pressure the, the blind man again, give glory to God. The proof was in the work of the son of God. All I know, again, all I know, before Jesus, after Jesus, right? Before Jesus, here I was. After Jesus, here I am. That's your testimony. That's your story. 
so many times we try to make it too hard. Simply again this morning, what was your life like before Jesus and then after Jesus? How long you got? Right? Praise the Lord. Amen? Verse 26. Then they ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I love this. He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Whoa, right? They are really, I'm sure those Pharisees were ready to lay into this young man. So they did. They hurled insults at him, and they said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we didn't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him When you speak the truth, you don't always get the best reception, do you, right? Now, I know he was frustrated, and I can sure you can hear a little bit of sarcasm in his voice. The Pharisees were done with him. They were too good for this. They were disciples of Moses, and they didn't realize God was in their very presence, right? Again, be careful. I love our church, and I love uh, studying and working together, but the church isn't the end goal, is it, right? But giving glory to God is So this young man, probably confused and dazed, he's been cast out of the synagogue trying to figure out what is going on. But I would encourage you that Jesus doesn't leave him in this state. Look down at verse 35. We'll see more than a prophet. He is more than a prophet. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Well, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I'm always reminded of the woman at the well, right? I am he, right? Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and they asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. A few quick things here, and we're going to wrap up this morning. Jesus seeks out the blind man. The Pharisees, they threw him out of the synagogue. They hated on him. They mocked him. You're a sinner steeped in birth. Get out of our presence. Did Jesus leave him alone? All right. I'm going to tell you this morning, I believe with all my heart, God is not leaving you alone. You may find a little persecution. You may find some suffering. You may find some pain when you stick up for the Lord, but the Lord is not leaving you alone. Jesus sought him out, and he found him, and then he encouraged him with even more truth. He gets to the point. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Tell me, this this young man says, so I can believe. And, of course, Jesus earned the man's trust because of the change, and the blind man worships Jesus. Now, this is really interesting. Who is allowed to accept worship? Only God. And here we see a picture of Jesus that reminds us that he is God because he does not refuse the worship of this young man. 
He is God. He accepts worship. And then Jesus states his purpose. He came into the world so that the blind would see and the seeing would become blind. So which camp are you in? There's kind of three camps here. Did you catch that? There's the blind who need to see. We want to pray for them. There's the seeing who will become blind. People who think they have it all figured out. And then there's the people who are not going to see at all. Right? And Jesus comes so the blind would see. And I would dare say if he came for that purpose, that should be our purpose as well, right? We should be helping people who are blind to see. So some of the Pharisees heard this. They scoffed. They laughed. <laughs> are we blind too? And Jesus tells them because they think they can see, their guilt will remain. All right, I want to close with this illustration from Jill Briscoe. And just a reminder that the Lord loves us, that he is drawing us in, that he wants to change us from the inside out. He wants to open our eyes. And we need to rest in him, even through the suffering, even through the pain, so that we can see his glory. Jill Briscoe shares this. She goes, not too long ago, I was babysitting one of our three, three-year-old grandchildren. So Todd and Don have two three-year-olds. <laughs> they had three three-year-olds. In our family, we had twins and a single birth all within 24 hours. We called them search, destroy, and demolition. I was to babysit demolition. As I waved goodbye to his parents, he looked perfectly all right. We had a little story out of his favorite book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. I put him to bed and I went to sleep. In the middle of the night, I felt a little hand and I turned on the light. I looked at Drew, chicken pox from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Nana, he said, me's having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Why should some things like this happen to I? I thought how Drew, how like Drew we all are. Why should something like this happen to me? We can't believe it. We cannot believe that God would allow something to happen to such nice people like us. And I gave Drew a bath in porridge oatmeal. It's actually a wonderful remedy. It takes away the itch. He swam around in his porridge bath, and then I took him out, and I wrapped his bumpy little body and a great big white towel. And as I held him against my heart, he just kept saying, hold me, Nana, hold me, Nana. I thought of Job as I held my little Job close to my heart. I don't know why God allows some things, but sometimes I think he wants us to reach out to him so he can hold us. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. So take him up on that promise. You and I, we may not understand why God has done what he has, but trust him and obey him, and he will use you for his glory. And maybe you'll help someone else sing. When I first put this together, I pulled up some old messages to pull from, and the title of the one was Amazing Grace. And Ida had put Amazing Grace as the first song and Amazing Grace as the last song. So I thought, I'm probably in the right spot. <laughs> When you give glory and praise to God, you may be helping somebody else to sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Like the young man, I was what? I was blind, 
but now I see. Give glory to God. Let's stand this morning. Would you just bow your heads quietly here for a moment? We're going to sing in just a minute. But I just want you to take a little time to reflect on the condition of your own heart. Again, everybody in this room faces suffering on different levels and in different ways and, and pain and hurt. And maybe you've been trying to blame, do the blame game, blame yourself or blame someone else or even blame God. But I would try to encourage you today that God is wanting to use the difficult situation for his glory, but you've got to submit yourself to him. First and foremost this morning, if you have never known Jesus, if you don't know what we talk about when we say, I was blind, but now I see, and yet the Lord is convicting you of sin this morning, he's speaking to your heart, he's challenging you to repent from your wicked ways and to chase after him, we would love to share with you the gospel of Jesus, that you could be saved and redeemed and reconciled. Feel free to come forward or come to me. We would love to see that happen today. But most of you here already know that, and you already have a story. You already have a, I was blind, but now I see story. And I want to challenge you this day that you would give glory to God. And so whatever the hurt is, whatever the pain is, whatever the situation is, as difficult and as challenging and as confusing, maybe chaotic as it can be, that this morning you'd be reminded that like the young man, that you could give all of that to the Lord and that he would get glory in your situation. So we're going to sing this morning. If you'd like to come and pray, feel free to touch a friend on the shoulder and come and pray together as we sing.